Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Uh, We're in a series called Helping Friends Through Tough Times. And today I want to address a, a problem that everybody faces. Uh, There are two experiences that absolutely everybody goes through, birth and death. Uh, Birth and death are a part of life for all of us. Everybody has a birth date, everybody has a death date. And only a fool would go through life unprepared for what you know is an inevitable. So you know you're going to die, so why not? Why not make your peace with God, make your peace with other people, and be prepared to die uh, no matter when it may happen. Uh, You know, I've had people in my life who've died unexpectedly, and and so have you. And those deaths often catch us by surprise, but surprise or not, uh, death is coming for all of us. Psalm 89 says, no one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. I mean, it's just a given. It's a given that in the coming days, weeks, months, uh, you're going to have friends, you're going to have family members who are going to, uh, to face death. And so how can you help them as they face the greatest crisis in their life? What are you going to say? What are you going to do for someone who's terminally ill? Uh, by the way, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but we're all terminal. I mean, that's the truth. Every one of us is terminal. And, and some may die in a week, some may die in a month, some may die in a moment, but everybody's terminal. Now, in one sense, uh, personally, I'm glad that we die because I do not want to spend eternity on a broken planet. If I'm going to live forever, I don't want to do it here. I don't want to do it here where there's sin and sorrow and suffering and rape and murder and corruption and dishonesty and jealousy and gossip and pain and all the other things that make our lives tough and difficult and miserable. And God doesn't want you to do that either. God wants you to one day move on from this fallen place, move on to live with him forever in a place where there is no sorrow, no suffering, no sadness, no sickness, no stress, just a place of joy and happiness. God said no one can escape the power of the grave. And so you and I are going to have family and friends who face death. How, how do we help them? And so first, we need to recognize that people react differently uh, to death. We're all different in our response. That's because of our personality and our life experience. But there are some common stages that people typically go through when they're facing death. We all respond differently. We all respond the same. And so there are five stages of grief that are common to everybody. And the stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. And we've got to understand how people move through these stages of grief. These were first identified, well, supposedly first identified by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross 50 years ago in 1969. So humanly speaking, this is fairly new information. 
And she wrote a groundbreaking book back then called On Death and Dying and determined through her research that, that people go through these five stages of, of death. What's interesting is, is that you see all five stages of death mentioned in the Bible uh, you know, centuries before she ever came up with it. So on your notes, how, how do people react uh, to death? And when somebody gets the news that they're going to die, the, the first stage is denial. Uh, people react with denial. They say, this just isn't happening to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really, I feel fine. Uh, I'm not dying. And, and they experience denial. Now, what is denial? Denial's actually a form of fear. Uh, anything that you're afraid to face, you tend to deny. And, and to be real specific here, what, what, whatever you're denying is not a problem in your life. That's what you're afraid to address. Oh, oh no, no, that, that's not really a problem. I, I'm okay. I'm doing fine. There. The, the truth is you're afraid to address that problem. That's why you're denying it. And when people are afraid of death, they deny that they're dying. David said this in Psalm 55, 4. He says, I am frightened inside. The terror of death has attacked me. David was afraid of dying. And so as a result, you live in denial because you don't want to admit that you're afraid. You don't want to admit the reality of what's coming your way. Number two, once you work through the denial stage, then you move on to anger. And when people realize that, that they're going to die, they can become angry. And they get angry at God, they get angry at the doctors, they get angry at their family, they get angry at themselves. It's not a particularly fun time in this process. David says it like this in Psalm 39. He says, I was overcome with anger. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? Typical question of someone who's found out that they're dying. When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. And the anger stage is the questioning stage of dealing with death. And they ask questions that, that really are unanswerable. Why me? Why now? Why this? What's the purpose? And frankly, they're not going to get answers to those questions. Not here. But they become angry. Stage three is when you move on to bargaining. And in the bargaining stage, uh, you say, God, if you'll just let me live, uh, then I promise, and then you fill in the blank. God, if you'll let me live, I'll be a good person from now on. I'll be a better husband from now on. I'll stop, and you can name whatever your favorite sin is, and I won't do that anymore. And I'll tithe 20%, and I'll go on a mission trip to someplace terrible. And God, if you'll just let me see my kids graduate, you know, you start bargaining with God in order to keep on living. But God doesn't bargain. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says, no one can keep from dying or put off the day of death. We can't bargain our way out of death. Psalm 49 says, you can never pay God enough to stay alive forever and be safe from death. So bargaining doesn't work. You move from denial, it's not happening, to anger, it's happening, but I'm ticked about it. And then you move to, oh God, if, if you will change your mind and not let this happen, then I'll offer up some kind of a deal. And then you realize that that doesn't work. Then you move into stage four, which is depression. 
Uh, people come to this stage in dealing with death, they just, they give up. I just don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Whatever happens, happens. What's the point? I'm going to die. Why bother? Why make the effort? I just give up. And it's very typical to go through a period of, of depression. But hopefully they get to, to stage five, which is acceptance. And acceptance is, is when I say, well, I may as well accept it and prepare for it. It's going to be okay. I'm ready for whatever happens. Now, not everybody goes through these five stages in, in this order. It's not like you go through them once and then you're done. It's more like you just sort of swirl around in all five of these. You know, my, my counselor told me that grief is not a cycle as much as it's a claw. And all five of these intense emotions grab you and they just shake you through the grief process. But the goal is to keep moving and to keep making progress and working through them. You don't want to get stuck in any one of these stages. And the most common and the biggest problem in dealing with grief is, is that you get stuck with one of these. And you can't, you can't move past the denial or you can't resolve your anger or you, you can't stop bargaining. You, 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 move, you can't get out of the depression. But you've got to keep moving through these. You've got to keep dealing with these until you come to complete acceptance. That's why it's important to understand the, the stages uh, in your friend's life or your mother or your father, brother, sister, whoever it is. Because you need to help them to deal fully with each one of these stages and help them deal with it so that they can, they can move to the next one. And if you don't understand these stages, then you're going to pull away. You're going to detach yourself from these people, especially when they're angry or, or when they're depressed. You're going to, you, it's going to be wounding to you if you don't understand what they're going through. And you're going to step back. And when they need you the most, you're, you're not going to be there. David complained about the distance that, that people give to those who are dying. In Psalm 38, 11, he says, My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. You know, fear always causes you to detach in a relationship. And if you have any fear in a friendship, any fear in a marriage, you start to pull back and create distance in the relationship. So David says, my loved ones and friends stayed away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. And that's not uncommon. Because most people feel awkward around someone who, who is dying. It's why, you know, you don't really like to go to funerals. It's why you don't like to go to the hospital and visit friends. It's why you don't like to go to the nursing home because it reminds you of your own mortality. And you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do and you're not sure what to feel or even what to think. How do I help this friend? How do I help this relative who's dying? You know, I... Uh, in my early days as a pastor, I always just wanted to be able to walk in and say the magic words and make it all better. And I came to realize that those words don't exist. You're not going to make it all better. You, you might say the wrong thing, but there's never a right thing to say. And the worst thing is to say nothing. So I want you to know you're going to need this outline today. And some of you are going to need it sooner uh, than you think. And so I'd encourage you to, to take good notes and tuck this one away. I want to look at how to comfort someone who is dying. Uh, first, I, I, in order to do that, I need to confront my own fears. 
Before you can help anybody else in this area, you've got to deal with your own fears. And exposure to death, exposure to to, to disease, uh, exposing the hidden fear in all of us. Uh, You know, we we just become afraid of that whole process, afraid that we're going to make matters worse, mess it up, afraid to do anything. But I just want you to know, it's almost impossible to mess it up. I mean, there's almost nothing that you can say to a dying person that's, that's really going to mess them up. And it's not like you're going to say the wrong thing and ruin everything. I mean, this is far, far bigger than you. And for those of you who haven't been around somebody dying, death is really, it's really quite ordinary. There's nothing spooky about it. There's nothing weird about it. There's nothing wicked about it. The truth is when people die, they, they just stop breathing. And, and that's really about all there is to it. And it's very normal. Uh, you know, everybody in the world eventually does it. So it's not scary. It's not spooky. It's not weird. You don't hear weird music. You don't see apparitions. You know, just one minute they're here and the next minute they're not. And contrary to TV, there are very few hallmark moments uh, when people die. People don't sit up in bed and make a speech and tell everybody where they buried the money or tell everybody, you know, the combination to the safe or tell everybody, you know, who did it. Uh, No, it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, Their heart rate slows down, their breathing slows down, and then they just stop. And then it becomes very apparent they're not here anymore. It's a very common statement when people see a deceased loved one for the first time is they're just not here anymore. And that's it. It's not something you need to be afraid of. And so the biggest mistake you can make with somebody who's dying is simply not to be there. And so that takes us to the next letter, O. I offer my physical presence. Your physical presence is the greatest gift you can give someone who's dying. Just to be there with them, to stay close to them when they're dying, to just show up. You know, when people are dying, they struggle with the fear of abandonment. We saw that with, with David. They struggle with the fear of dying alone. They, they want somebody to be there. They don't want to be left alone to die by themselves. And so you just show up and you don't have to say anything profound. You, you may not even be talking to them. You're just in the same room with them. You know, instead of reading a magazine in the living room, you read it in the bedroom with them and, and, and you just read the magazine there. Instead of watching TV in the den, you sit in their room and you watch TV with them or you knit or you work on your computer. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're just simply in the room being with them. You can touch them, hold their hand gently, put your hand on their shoulder, assure them of your presence, remind them of God's presence. God has said over and over again in the Bible that I am with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. And people need to be reminded of that. They need to be reminded that God is near. Because when God is near, you lose your fear. So remind them, I'm here with you. God is here with you. You just offer your physical presence. The M in comfort is I minister with practical assistance. Uh, you can just do whatever needs to be done. You can run errands, help them in, in practical ways. 
You know, often when somebody is, is uh, dying, they don't feel good. They're in pain. David said, I'm burning with fever and I'm near death. I'm worn out and utterly crushed. My heart is troubled and I groan with pain. What do you do in that situation? You do whatever you can do. You offer practical assistance to relieve their pain. And it can be in the little things from uh, maybe a sip of water or to some ice to chew on or a cool cloth for their head or, or, or simply to, uh, to rub their hands or feet or some way to uh, minister to them in a very physical way. The Bible says, encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Why does it say be patient? Because when we're in pain, we get cranky. You notice that it's hard to be spiritual when you have a toothache? It's hard to be spiritual when you're in pain. And when people are dying, they often get cranky. And so we need to cut them some slack, show them some grace, be patient with everyone. One of the the fears that people have when they're dying is the fear of losing control. And through the process of death, people are constantly losing control of their life. First I could drive, now I can't even walk, now I can't get out of bed, now I can't even go to the bathroom on my own. Control is being taken from them more and more and more. And one of the ways you can minister to the dying is by giving them choices. Every time you give them a choice, you give control back to their life. And so even when you say something as simple as, you want your slippers on or off, uh, you have empowered them. You want the light on or off, uh, you've empowered them. You want the window open or closed. Would you, would you like to change the channel? You don't just bring in breakfast and say, here's breakfast, uh, eat it. No, you, you say, what do you want? What do you want for breakfast? Every time you give people a choice, you give them their power back. It makes a difference. The F in comfort is fortify them with emotional support. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? You love your neighbor as you love yourself. How do you carry somebody else's emotional burden? How, how do you do that? Well, you pray for them and you pray with them. Uh, When you pray with them, you give them emotional support. When you pray for them, you give them emotional support. And you know, how do you do that? Well, you can just pray whatever they say and just mirror it, pray it back to God in a prayer. When the person dying says, you know, this just really frustrates me. Then you say, Lord, Susie's really frustrated by this. You just vocalize, verbalize uh, the issues that they're going with. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. Just, Lord, Susie wishes that she'd done this. She wishes she'd done that. She's got some regrets. They say, I'm angry. I'm irritated. I don't like what's going on. You can see, God, Susie's having a tough time right now. She's upset. She's angry. She's frustrated. And you become the voice to God for their frustrations. You mirror back to God in your prayer what you've heard them say. And when you take what they say and you turn it into a prayer, you're lifting their burden. You know, when somebody's sick, sometimes they're too sick to pray. They don't even have the energy to pray. And so when you turn their thoughts into prayer, you're interceding before them. Another way to bring them comfort 
is to open them up with questions. Uh, Open them up. Give them an opportunity to speak. Give them an opportunity to unburden, to unload. You know, they can be carrying an enormous emotional load and they're carrying worry and fear and doubt and shame and guilt and regret. I mean, they're carrying a whole range of emotions. And you need to help people unload what they're feeling inside to, to help them open up and get that stuff off their chest. All the heaviness that they're carrying about this. And the way you do that is just by asking some open-ended questions. You know, questions can't be ample, answered with a simple yes or no. Questions that demand more than a word or two. That's how you get people to open up. And we can, we can be afraid that as we start this, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, they'll ask them. They'll ask, and you won't know the answer. But that's okay. You know, people ask me questions all the time I don't have the answer to. They'll ask, why me? I don't know. Why now? Why this? And truthfully, nobody knows the answers to those questions. They're unanswerable. God knows the answer. But the truth is, we don't need to know the answer to those questions. What they really need is they just need some comfort. And an explanation doesn't provide comfort. They just really need to just talk the whole thing out. And so if you get an unanswerable question from somebody, just, just mirror it back to them. Just rephrase it. And you know, if they say, why am I going through this? Then, then, well, how are you supposed to answer that? You don't know why. But maybe you could say, well, what does dying mean to you? And just wait for them to answer. And you're giving them the opportunity to talk. Because the question is not really the question. The question is a symptom of something deeper that they need to get out. What does it mean to you to die? What is it that you're feeling as you go through this process? And so just rephrase it. Well, what, what, what do you feel is happening to you? And give them an opportunity to, to vent. Next thing. You want to remember that the family has needs too. Uh, This is where you can really be a friend to other people. If you've got a friend who's ill and they're dying, you can really help the whole family, not just them. And sometimes as a friend, you can say things that the family can't say. Sometimes you can ask questions that the family can't ask. Sometimes you can help move relationships toward healing. Remember, the family's moving through these same five stages of of grief as well. They're dealing with denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and hopefully acceptance as well. And so you can help the whole family uh, to do this. One last thing in comforting people is you want to turn them to Jesus. You know, I've come to realize as a pastor that's one of the great things that I, that I have an opportunity to do. When I step into a hospital room or step into a funeral home or step into hospice, one of the things that I, that I have the privilege of doing is just introducing God into the situation. And that's not something that's just reserved for a pastor. Any believer can do that. You, you can introduce God into uh, the situation. You know, when we're facing uh, death, we want someone to turn them uh, to Christ, to where they'll spend eternity in heaven. That's our hope. You know, what did Jesus come to do? One of the things he came to do is to take away your fear of death. By dying on the cross to pay for your sins and then being resurrected to show that there's life after death. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 2, for only as a human being could Jesus die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. God doesn't want you to be afraid of dying. God says, I want to break this fear in your life. And instead of looking to our fear of death, God wants you to look to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You need to help those who are dying do the same thing. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. We don't look at the IVs and the doctors and the medical equipment and the machines. We don't look at all the trouble we're going through right now. We look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we have seen will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. When somebody's dying, we want to encourage them to do what David did. David said, death itself stared me in the face, but in my distress, I cried out to my Lord. You know, you can't offer that hope to other people if you haven't received it yourself. If you cried out to the Lord and asked him to give you the gift of eternal life. Because if you haven't settled that issue, then you're gambling with your destiny. You're gambling with eternity. And that's not too smart. So if you were to die tonight, are you absolutely certain that you would go to heaven? If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? Would you know the right answer? And if you don't know, let it be my privilege right now to help you settle that matter. Just pray this prayer in your heart right now. Let's pray together. Just say quietly in your mind, God, God will hear you. Say, God, you're God and I'm not. You're the one who created me. You're the one who created my birth date and you're the one who's numbered my days. And you sent Jesus Christ to be my savior. So I must need to be saved. And so right now I ask you to forgive me of the things I've done wrong in my life to help me establish a relationship with you, to help me to fulfill the purpose that you created me for. And God, as much as I know how, I, I want to learn to trust you, I want to learn to love you, and I want to be prepared for the final day of my life and for the beginning of my new life with you forever in heaven. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.